try to get through the rest of this chapter. I've uh, covered the uh, first two verses last time. I think tonight we'll do a little bit better than that, I hope. And uh, once you find it, let's go ahead and pray and I'll go couple, show you a couple things out of here that are little highlights, I think, as far as practical applications for us. Uh, primarily, we'll be looking at the doctrine, but I want to make sure that we get something out of it, too, for our personal walk with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you so much for our church. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you are God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us a church. Uh, thank you for allowing us to gather here, still giving us the liberty and freedom in this country to do so. Uh, we do appreciate it. We've had it. Uh, it's all we've ever known, really. Thank you for it. Pray that you'd help us, Lord, to get something out of this passage. And, uh, Lord, give our hearts and our ears to you. Please be with me as I teach. Help me to teach sound doctrine, Lord, and uh, help me to teach in such a way that will be a help and a blessing to your folks, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, we covered verses 1 and 2 last time. Let's go ahead and just read, uh, read starting in verse number 1. I won't make a bunch of comments because we already did. But don't forget chapter 10 we showed you as a parenthetical chapter. And uh, he shows us in verse number 1, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven with clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head and his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And I showed you last time pretty clearly we were pretty confident that that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We ran all the references in showing you that. And he's making a tribulation appearance to Israel. So somewhere near the end of the tribulation period, Jesus is showing up and making that appearance to Israel. Verse number 2, And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth. So uh, we showed you the possibility that that little book is uh, that book over there in Daniel. And uh, we left off there at the end of verse number 2. And notice in verse 3, And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voice. So I want to show you some verses here in regards to this. First of all, go to Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And we're going to look at some stuff about the voice of Jesus Christ. Revelation 5, 5. And when one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. To open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So, you know, Jesus Christ is referred to as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? There's a cross reference for you. So, when he utters his voice, it says he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. Uh, that's a pretty, pretty powerful thing. The voice of Jesus Christ, if you can only imagine how powerful that is, I don't think we really can. I uh, love watching those nature shows, as you've heard me say before. Ain't nothing like the sound of a lion's roar. It's a weird thing, man. It's not like you'd think. But the way that the, the decibels or whatever it is that that sound is at, that sound carries for a real long way. And it's a powerful thing. Uh, look at some more verses about the voice of Jesus Christ, though. Go back with me, if you would, to Job chapter number 37, please. Job chapter number 37. And we've showed you this before, but we'll just kind of reiterate some of this stuff to... Uh, point out to you what the Lord's voice is going to sound like to some extent, at least what the lost people are going to hear. Uh, Job chapter 37, look at verse number 1. Uh, at this also my heart trembleth and is moved out of his place. Hear attentively the noise of his voice. Hear attentively the noise of his voice. 
and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. Now, when you go over to Proverbs, it says, Incline thine heart unto me, incline your ear unto me. My son, give me thine heart, incline your ear unto my lips. Um, Jesus Christ would say, you know, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear, right? So, hear attentively. You know, the day is coming when everybody's going to hear that voice. Everybody. But right now, only certain people can hear it. That's how there be some practical application for you. We're talking about a powerful voice. We're talking about a being so big, when he stands up, he's got one foot on the Mediterranean Sea and the other foot on land. And he roars like a lion. And when he roars, his voice is the sound of thunder when he speaks. You're going to see how powerful this voice is. Verse 2, and the sound that goeth out of his mouth, verse 3, saw Job 37, he directeth it unto the whole heaven, and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. He can speak, just speaking so loud, the whole heaven. At a minimum, at a minimum, and this is a minimum, because obviously his voice would fill outer space too. But at a minimum, think about a, a sound so loud, it surrounds the entire globe, and all that's in this first heaven where the birds fly, everything in it can hear. You ever hear one of those fighter jets go by and like they're already gone when you start hearing it and it's so loud it can shake the ground? That's nothing, man. That's absolutely nothing compared to the voice of God. His voice filleth the whole heaven, his lightning unto the ends of the earth, and after it a voice roareth. He thundereth with the voice of his excellency and will not stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he that we cannot comprehend. <laughs> we're, all, we're ta- all we're talking about right now is the voice of God. Just as voice is enough to literally blow your mind according to the Bible. You cannot understand just his voice. What a God, man. That's a wild thought to me when I stop and I think about it. Just don't spin through my Bible all the time. Meditate on his precepts. And think about what it's teaching me about God. Think about what it's teaching me about my Savior. That's a powerful God. Go to Psalm 29, please. Go to Psalm 29. Look at verse 1. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. His voice snapped trees in half. The redwood forest. His voice. <gasps> Boom! I mean, snapping trees so big, a bunch of us would have to join hands to wrap around. And just with his voice, just the power of his voice, just the shock waves from the sound, snap that thing. Pop! They all just come down. All he does is roar. Can you, you imagine? You guys think a nuclear bomb's a big deal? A nuclear bomb ain't a big deal. 
I, it might end mankind, you know, but, but it ain't really a big deal. Not compared to the voice of God. He can fold up the universe like, like changing your garments. <laughs> That's a wild thought, man. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. I wonder if uh, some of these earthquakes that, that cause such damage. I just said I wonder. I didn't make a doctrinal statement on it. I wonder. An earthquake. You ever see where some of those earthquakes hit? How come nobody ever does any research on that stuff? How come nobody ever studies out wildfires, when they hit, where they hit, and who they affect, and what was going on in the legal systems at the time as they're passing laws that go against God? What was going on in the cities at the time when they're marching in the streets declaring their hatred for God, His rules, and His laws? How come nobody ever connects those dots for everybody? How come nobody ever shows you, oh, it's so unfortunate, it's so terrible? How come nobody ever shows you what's going on in some of the cities where this stuff hits and a lot of people die. I'm not saying people should die. I'm, I'm sorry that people die. It's terrible. But how come nobody ever does the homework to show you what's going on? You know, some guys have written some books here and there, uh, guys that are smarter than me, showing you this was what America was doing at this time, and this is the law they passed, and here's the tragedy that took place, and here's a law they passed, and here's what happened, and here's a law that passed, and here's what happened. Nobody's showing you that stuff. I wonder exactly what was going on around the world. Maybe what, what were they doing in the UN when COVID hit and spread and affected the entire world and snapped the back of their economies and all kinds of stuff, people. I, I just wonder. Where, where, how come nobody has any fear of God anymore? I'd be willing to bet you if somebody was smart enough. I'm just throwing it out there. If somebody was smart enough. I mean, it's probably some pretty smart people in the room. If somebody was smart enough to sit down and trace some of that stuff out, I'd be willing to bet you that you can make a correlation between some of this stuff. But nobody wants to think about him. They don't like to retain God in their knowledge. Nobody wants to give God the credit for anything. He's just this big, happy, you know, grandpapa Santa Claus in the sky with a white beard here to make everybody happy because he's all grace and love. Well, the Bible tells you his voices shake the woods, shake the cedars, break the cedars, snap them in half. It'll shake up the world. That's a powerful God. The voice of the Lord, verse 9, maketh the hinds to calf. What a switch of pace, huh? Okay, mama, come on. Push. Here comes that baby. Isn't that weird? And discovereth the forests. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Go to another passage. We're going to come back to the Old Testament in a second, but I want you to see John chapter 12. We're talking about the voice of God. Uh, Jesus Christ puts his foot down on the sea, puts his other foot down on the land. He's making that appearance to Israel in the tribulation period, and when he puts his feet down, he roars. And boy, they know it's him. Ain't a person on the planet's going to escape that. His voice fills the whole heaven. His voice snaps trees in half. His voice creates earthquakes. John chapter 12, look at verse 29. Uh, look at verse 28. Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name. 
Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. So what did the voice say? That's not what the voice said, is it? The voice said, I will glorify, I've both glorified thy name and I will glorify it again. That's what he said. Look at the next verse. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake. You, you, know, what I, you know what I think? And I, I'm not making a statement on this. It's a, you know, here I stand on some grand doctrinal position. But I got a strong feeling that when the rapture happens, the lost people that aren't saved are going to hear thunder all over the whole planet. And you're going to hear come up hither. You'll probably hear your name with it. It's really important for you to be tuned into the voice of God. You're not going to miss the rapture if you don't. I'm not saying that, okay? (laughs) But it's a pretty important thing for you to have a relationship with the Lord to incline your ear to that voice because that voice that says to that that mama says, Hey, come on. Push, mama. It's coming. It's got it. I got it. Making the hinds to calf. That same gentle voice... That's going to say to you, come up hither. That same gentle voice that said, hey, I heard you, man. I've both glorified it and I'll glorify it again. That same voice can snap trees in half. Now, now check something out about the voice of God. This is, this is awesome. This is one of the most wonderful, one of the most beautiful things about God. I, that I, I, I adore. I adore this about God. And I'm not being corny and I'm not being fruity. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I adore this about God. Go to 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, now you you got the power, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious from running these references that this is a scary, scary amount of power. This is a mind-boggling God that with His voice can wipe out forests, create earthquakes, split fire in half. So don't don't think for a second he can't start wildfires and send earthquakes that wipe out cities and send little viruses that you can't see to bring people to their knees. Don't think for a second he can't. This same God in 1 Kings 19 has got one of his men that's gotten sideways. He's messed up. He's frustrated, he's in a bad time, uh, that nobody seems to be listening, and now they're after his life to persecute him. And coincidentally, this is one of the two men we're going to see next week in Revelation 11, who God sends back during the tribulation period to preach. And here's the thing, uh, back up to verse 9, 1 Kings 19, 9, And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel has forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they, take, they, and they, that, and they seek my life to take it away. What a frustrating and confusing thing. These guys will tell you, you know, as long as you're saved, nobody can mess with you. Only demon-possessed people want to mess with saved people. And if you got the Spirit of God in you and they got demons in you, then they have no power over you. (laughs) You need to read a Bible. Because his prophets, 
God's prophets were being slain with the sword by demon-possessed Baal worshippers who were fornicating and all the rest of that stuff, the, the amount of, of abominable sins that they practiced and participated in isn't fit for mixed company. And those demon-possessed cycles are slaying the prophets with the sword. And Elijah's like, God, I'm wore out. I don't get it. And what happens is, he said, now they're trying to take my wife away. Verse 11, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. God told Elijah to do that. Come back out of that cave and stand on the mount before me. You know what Elijah did? He did what God told him to do regardless of how he felt. And because he took the next step that God gave him, without God telling him what future steps were, he just took the right next step. And he comes out and stands there at the opening of that cave because God said, do it. And then God gives him an illustration. When he's standing there before the Lord, it says, Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. God sent a wind that was snapping rocks. But watch this. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Stop real quick. I just got done telling you that the voice of God can create them. The voice of God can snap trees. The voice of God can split fire. We just saw those verses, right? But you and I can't sit around every time it happens and say, Oh, that was God. Because God was sending these at this time, and it says God wasn't in it. Watch what's next. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood in at the entering of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah gives him the same answer. And then God talks to him. You know what's beautiful about that? I adore about God. He's got a voice so powerful, so big, he could literally obliterate mankind. And that God can control himself, reign in his strength, reign in his power, bring himself down to a low level, and talk to me very gently. Isn't that cool? You and I ought to be inclining our ear to God, man. Because he's got the power to knock your house down. But why would you, why would you want that side of him when he's willing to say real kind, real gentle things to you. And you make the difference. What a God. All right, go back to Revelation 10. Let's get back on this. So now in the great tribulation, he's, he's got his, his foot on the sea and his other foot on the land, and he cries with a loud voice. Could you imagine, could you imagine if God... Jesus Christ standing there just just decides he's going to let it rip. Just let his power go. That's what's happening. I wouldn't say he's hitting it 100% because if he did, it would all vanish. He'd melt it all away. But he's letting it go. He's giving it it a little push here. And in verse number 3, look at the last part of it. When he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. So it's possible... 
Israel's hearing something, and the rest of the world that don't want him, that hates the Jews, they're hearing thunders. But it's very interesting to me that it says seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, obviously, like we talked about last time, uh, you can't always be 100% dogmatic about everything, but to get a little bit of light on stuff, you've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. And things that aren't 100% clear, you can get a little bit of light on it and have a pretty good guess. Go back to Isaiah 11. We'll come right back to Revelation here in a minute. Just look at Isaiah chapter 11. Seven thunders utter their voices. So it stands to some reason, since we know that we have Jesus Christ here by running the references, that that's who this is talking about. When you come to Revelation 11, there's seven thunders, right? And his voice is a sound of thunder. Revelation 11 went verse 1. And there, went, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. How many spirits are there? Well, you've got to watch it and be careful. Number one, the Spirit of the Lord. Number two, the Spirit of wisdom. Number three, understanding. Number four, the Spirit of counsel. Number five, might. Number six, knowledge. Number seven, the fear of the Lord. You know what you've got? Seven spirits of God. It's very possible... Back in Revelation 10, when he utters his voice, seven thunders utter their voices. Because those seven spirits of God in Isaiah 11 verse 2 are connected to Isaiah 11 verse 1, and that's Jesus Christ. So you've got these, these seven thunders in Revelation 10, 3, and it's possibly what it is. Look at verse 4. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. He heard what they were saying. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Wait a minute. <laughs> what in the world is in there? You don't know. God said don't write them. Something that was said by those seven thunders he was like, man, that was good. And God said, nope. Yo, folks, can you imagine when we get there? <laughs> I had not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God had prepared for them that love him. There is so much more to God and so much more going on and so much more that's going to happen. And there's so much more to the Bible you hold in your lap than you can ever figure out in one lifetime. I'm telling you, the best black belts in the world keep a white belt mentality. And you will stop growing spiritually. You will stop growing in your walk with Jesus Christ. Your Bible knowledge will shrivel up and go away if you don't keep a white belt mentality when it comes to the Bible. I don't give two hoots for a Christian who thinks they know it all because of where they were trained or who they knew or who they sat under or anything else. I don't give two hoots for you. I know one thing for sure. When you act like or think or, or, or strut your stuff like or talk like you know it all, you are an ignoramus. This book is so much deeper and there's so much more God has to say than what you and I can ever figure out. I got a feeling that some of this stuff is in here. I just, I just said I got a feeling, okay? You know, I'm not going charismatic. Thank God I'm not wearing my white suit today, my Kenneth Copeland suit, because y'all be like, oh, he's off the deep end now. I got a feeling. I got a feeling. <laughs> I got a feeling some of this stuff that he says, wait, stop, don't write. I think it's in here. Because this is the word of God. 
This was established and settled in heaven. This thing is eternal. He just took it down from there and put it in, in English for you, and now you got it in your lap, but what you hold in your hands is something from heaven. Revelation chapter 10, verse 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. So he's lifting up to God. Verse 6. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are there, that are, that are, that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and all the things that are therein, that there shall be time, there should be time no longer. You know what I thought about when I saw this? He created heaven and the things that therein are. Well, we know there's a sun, moon, and stars. We're aware of some meteorites. But like we were talking about this morning, there's more stuff up there. It's funny to me that people are so infatuated with finding life in outer space. That the brightest and most brilliant of scientists think that it just stands to reason that there's other inhabitable planets out there and there's other life forms and blah, 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 blah. You know what's funny to me? Man, you're worrying about outer space. You can't even figure out everything that's in the oceans that we got on this earth. There's still stuff we ain't never seen. (laughs) They haven't even found every insect that there is. Think about that for a minute. God knows every little microscopic bacteria, every little virus. God knows every little insect, every little bug. God knows everything that's in the depths of the oceans. And God knows everything that's in outer space. And he created every bit of it. Isn't that wild? Now, if he's that powerful, and there's some stuff he doesn't tell you, why would you be so stupid as to try to figure it out? There's something demonically wrong, sinfully wrong with these scientists and the rest of these people that are obsessed with outer space and finding out if there's life forms out there and trying to connect to it. And all the stuff they're saying about AI and AI's ability to hit it off with aliens and that more than likely that's going to be the first connection and all that stuff. Yeah. What you're watching is something really, really supernatural. You're watching the stage get set for Jesus Christ to come and the tribulation period, the great tribulation, to kick off. Well, he's the one that knows it all. He's the one that made it all. He knows what's out there and what ain't. And what he gave you in your lap is what you should worry about. Verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he had declared to his servants the prophets. So there's stuff in there. There are mysteries. There's seven mysteries that a New Testament pastor is supposed to be faithful to teach you, which maybe we'll do that here one of these times once I get through one of these books. Maybe we'll just spend seven weeks and go through the seven mysteries. Haven't done that in a while. But there's seven mysteries you're supposed to know. And there's mysteries in there that God gave to the prophets. You know, they didn't think about this. It's a wild thought to me is that they did not know for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Stuff is hidden back there. There's a lot more in that Old Testament than what meets the eye. Verse eight. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, 
which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Now, that's exactly what the Word of God does to you. When you taste it, it's sweet. But you know what it does when it gets inside of you? It's bitter. Let's look at some passages of Scripture on this, and we'll be done here in just a little bit. But go back to Numbers chapter 5, and let me show you some things. And I'm going to give you a couple of, I don't know, I guess I'd say suggestions, and they're biblical suggestions about your Bible. And, and so there's some biblical authority to what I'm going to show you. Numbers chapter 5, please. Some biblical authority to what I want to show you. But it's a suggestion for you. But before that, let's take a look at why the Bible sometimes becomes bitter to us. Here's a great illustration, a great example of the Bible being bitter. Numbers chapter 5, look at verse... Uh, well, I don't want to take too much time. So, so when, when a, we'll skip down here to verse uh, 19. And let me just kind of get you caught up. Uh, verse 18. So if a woman, a man got jealous, a spirit of jealousy hit a man in the Old Testament. And he's thinking that his wife stepped out on him. He could bring her to the priest. And what would happen is what we're about to read. And, and this thing was actually pretty wild. It's pretty divine deal. She's to drink the bitter water. And if she was guilty, then the bitter water would do something pretty bad to her body. Her belly would swell and her thigh would rot is what it says. So it would bring a curse on her. And if she was innocent, when she drank the bitter water, nothing would happen. Look at verse 18. The priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head. All right. So what's a woman's covering? It's her hair, right? That's what it says. So the hair is an illustration of a man being over a woman, having being under the proper authority. And so when she's uncovered, the Bible says that God wants her head covered, being under a spiritual leadership and the proper authority, because if her woman's uncovered, he said, because of the angels. So an attack from the devil can come when she doesn't have proper leadership. And that's why, if, let me just say this real quick, that's why if you don't have a Christian husband who's following Jesus Christ, you need to be in a Bible-preaching church. You need to be under spiritual leadership and spiritual authority. Why? Because it'll keep you safe. And the Bible tells you how to go behave yourself in front of your lost husband. It keeps you safe. Or your backslidden husband. It keeps you safe. So he's uncovering that head because now there's nobody interceding. There's nobody between her. It's her and God and she's completely on her own now. Right? Because her husband's like, I'm not sure. I don't trust her. And I think she did something wrong. And I'm not, I'm not running interference for her, God. If she did something wrong, I want it exposed. I want to know. Right? So that's, he takes the, the covering off her head. And put the offering of her memorial in her hands, verse 18, which is the jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the priest shall charge her by an oath and say unto the woman, If, thou have lain with, uh, if no man hath lain with thee, and if thou hast not gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from the bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled... 
and some man have lain with thee beside thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with a curse of with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say to the woman, The Lord made thee a curse and an oath among thy people, when the Lord doth make thy thigh to rot and thy belly to swell. And this prayer that this water, excuse me, that causeth the curse, shall go into thy bowels and make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. And the priest shall write these curses in a book, and he shall blot them out with the bitter water. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand and shall wave the offering before the Lord and offer it upon the altar. The priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burden upon the altar. And afterward shall the woman shall cause the woman to drink the water. And if and when he hath made her to drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her belly and become bitter, and her belly shall swell, and her thighs shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. And if the woman be not defiled but be clean, then she shall be free. And shall conceive seed. This is the law of jealousies when a wife goeth aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled. Or the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he be jealous over his wife and sends her before the Lord, but she's innocent. Now, look at that illustration. She's supposed to drink bitter water. Well, what's the Bible likened to? Water of the word. But when she's sinful, when she's guilty, when she's done something wrong... He blots that, the words. And he has her drink that water, and when that water goes in, it's bitter in her belly. You want to know a lot of times why you resent the Bible? Why people get mad at preaching? Why they don't want to read their Bible? They don't want to listen to preaching? Because when that word of God goes in and you're guilty, it don't hit you right. And if you don't want to get right, it causes a rotting in you. It causes a swelling in you. It makes your stomach upset. You don't feel good. You don't feel better. You feel worse. Why? Because you don't want the truth. Or that thing goes in you and you do want the truth, but there's some guilt there. That thing can become bitter. That's a wild thought to me, but there's more. Go to Proverbs chapter 25, please. Well, go to Proverbs 16 first. Proverbs 16, then we'll go to 25. Proverbs 16, look at uh, verse uh, 24. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. You know what that is? It's the Word of God. You know what happens when you put the Word of God in? It's like a honeycomb. It's not only sweet to your soul, it's healthy for you. So sometimes when you drink that medicine, it upsets your stomach for a little while, but you know why it upsets your stomach? Because your gut flora is off. Any of you ever take probiotics? Okay, got one real quick hand. Yeah, <laughs> right. What what happened? You you learn that you're not healthy, and so you start taking those. Pro- and what what happens? Your your tummy gets a little upset sometimes. Okay, being tactful about it. Well, what's happening? 
Well, it's going into you, but what it's doing is it makes your belly bitter, but it's actually health to your bones. It's actually, I don't like it. I don't always like it. I, I, I witness to people, you know, lead them to Christ. And when I start showing them the verses, you can watch people's face fall. You can watch them get flushed. You can watch them get nervous. You can watch them start looking at that and start sweating. Like, I mean, like, like choking on, like, I mean, like literally, like I've had them while they're talking to me, like <clears throat> from the nerves. What's happening? Well, they're under conviction. They're realizing like, boy, I'm a sinner. I'm going to go to hell. Hands shaking. What is it? They're under conviction. That's a good thing. It's, it's making your belly bitter, but what it's doing is your gut flora is off. You're not healthy. And so it's coming in and it's attacking all the things that are unhealthy about you. Hey, that's a good thing. You don't puke it up because you don't like it. You take it in. And when you don't like it, let it work on you a little bit because it's going to make you healthy. It's health to your bones. Go to Proverbs chapter um, 25, please. Proverbs 25. You're in good company. Don't feel too bad about yourself. You say John was an all right guy? (laughs) I'd say. When he ate it, his belly got bitter. So if your belly doesn't get bitter, I think you're not, you must not be eating. Or when you're eating, you ain't eating it the way you're supposed to be. Proverbs 25, look at verse 16. Hast thou found honey? Hey. You know what you found? Pleasant words. They're like a honeycomb. This, this book is sweet. When he picked it up to eat it, it was sweet to his taste. It was manna. It was food from heaven. It's good. What do you do with it? Now watch this. This is proverbial wisdom right here out of the book of Proverbs. Hast thou found honey? Eat so much that you read it cover to cover three times a year. Stuff yourself with it and keep stuffing yourself with it so you can be spiritual. Oh, I know, you don't usually, you're not used to getting advice like that from a Bible-believing preacher. That ain't what that says, is it? You hear me brag about how many times a year I read my Bible through? Have I ever told you how many times a year I read my Bible cover to cover? Did I ever tell you? I ever give you a number of how many times I've read my Bible in my lifetime cover to cover? Yeah, you know why? Because that's between me and God. We'll find out at the judgment seat of Christ, number one. Number two, sometimes people start getting a a guilt complex thinking they don't read enough. And so they start trying to read more and they're force feeding themselves honey. And you know what happens when you force feed honey? It makes your belly bitter. Look what it says. Have you found it? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. You know why a lot of people wind up out of church? They, they get force fed. You take a baby and you just start force feeding it the bottle. Or you're, or you're taking some meat and you're trying to cram meat down the throat of a brand new Christian. You start pressuring them. How many of you have I pressured about your church attendance? Let me see your hand. Oh. How many of you guys said, why are you? How come you aren't here? Come back Sunday night. Come back Wednesday night. I'm, I'm teaching this again because I don't want to start doing this. I don't want anybody else to start doing it. 
You don't need to be pressuring each other. Don't pressure new Christians. Invite them. You can tell them, hey, we missed you when you weren't there. That's really good. Is everything okay? Follow up with them if you think they're dropping off. But you better pray about it before you do it and do it in the right spirit so it's friendly and it's accountability and it's love. It's not pressure to force feed somebody food. You're going to hurt them. So guess what I'd rather you do? Have you found the honey? (laughs) I found it. I would rather you faithfully read two chapters a day, which would take you probably about five minutes, maybe ten, every day of your life, faithfully. I would rather you faithfully pray for five minutes every day. I would rather you faithfully attend whatever service you choose to attend once a week, every day. And you know what's going to happen? You know what will happen? If you found honey, if you, when you read it, it's sweet. When you pray, it's sweet. When you come, it was sweet. Your hunger is going to grow. And as it grows, you'll eat more. And you'll come more. And you'll do more. Because you're growing. And you want to. You're not puking it up because you're putting so much pressure on yourself that you can't sustain it. Look, some new Christians cannot sustain reading their Bible cover to cover every year. Now, that's not too much to ask, in my opinion. It takes you about 15 minutes, maybe 20 tops. If you dedicate 15 minutes a day to your Bible reading, you should have your Bible read in a year. And if you've been saved more than five years and have never read your Bible cover to cover, something is wrong with you. One chapter a day will get you through the Bible in four years. Every person in this room ought to be able to say four years from now, I have read my Bible cover to cover. If you can't say that, I'm getting on you, okay? Is that all right? Shame on you. Read your Bible. But don't cram so much in your face. I'm going to read my Bible through three times a year, four times a year. I heard this preacher say he reads it 10 times a year. I got to try to do that. If he can do it 10, I can do it 5. No, you can't. You'll puke. It gets bitter in the belly. Look at something else. Go back with me, if you would, to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And if you can, good. I mean, good. God gives some people more of an appetite than others. Let me say this. If you're called to preach, (laughs) don't even think about it if you can't read your Bible every year. And you ought to be reading it twice a year at least. You're called to preach. You want God to put you in the ministry and you ain't reading your Bible? You're a joke, man. You're a joke. I'm going to the military, but you can't hit the broad side of a barn with with an AR or with an M16? (laughs) You're a joke. Amen. But that doesn't mean that everybody in your congregation or everybody else you preach to should keep up with you and that God gives different people a different level of appetite. You got to know yourself. Be faithful. Put it in and let God grow you because it tastes sweet, but it does get bitter in your belly. All right. Deuteronomy chapter eight. A couple more on the Bible and we'll be done for tonight. Deuteronomy chapter eight. Look at verse uh, three. It says, and he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. And fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Every word 
that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. You know what it is? It's honey. It's food. It's life. It's healing. It's medicine. That's what the Bible is. And when you put it in, it will do all those different things for you. It'll make your, it'll taste sweet in your mouth. It'll make your belly bitter. It'll deal with issues you have and help you out. Go back to Psalm real quick. Psalms, I want you to see a couple more verses. Psalm 19. Look at verse 10, talking about the Word of God. Psalms 19.10. Now look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So it goes down deep inside, and it does something in the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Man, that's a good thing, ain't it? Don't you want to be wise? I'm not very smart. God didn't say nothing about IQ. I'm pretty simple. Okay, good. Get in the Bible. You can be a simple person and have wisdom. You can have an average IQ or a little below average. But love that Bible, study that Bible, read that Bible, pray and ask God for wisdom, and God can give you wisdom. And all the smart people can't figure out stuff you can figure out. <laughs> Ain't that a trip? That, that powerful God can stoop down to the low. He, I mean, he, he made himself, took upon him the form of a servant, a little lower than the angels. And you don't think he'll talk to you? Making wise the simple, the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired, hear me, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Good stuff. Quality stuff that's worth a lot of money. Right here, what I'm holding in my hands is worth more than semi-trucks full of much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in the keeping of them there is great reward. (laughs) Great reward. He said, much fine gold, but in keeping these words, there's great reward in your life. You want big blessings? You want God to do great things for you 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now? It's right here. It's putting this book in. And when you put it in, it can get bitter in your belly. Because the next verse shows you why. Who can understand his errors, right? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. You mean there's stuff down inside that I don't even understand about myself? Yes, there's stuff inside of you you don't get about yourself. And you put the words of God in because you can't understand your errors. You have secret faults, faults you might not even know you have. Like, man, I shouldn't be that way. I shouldn't have done that. I'm thinking wrong. I'm operating wrong. I'm naturally, and I think I'm right, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm way off track, and I didn't know I was off track. That's what this book does for you. That's why it gets bitter in your belly. Because you digest it, you put it in, and it starts hitting you wrong because there's stuff down in there that you don't know is in there. And this book, this book helps you with that. It's a good thing. Keep back also thy servant from presumptuous sins. Those sins, just, you just, they're just 
easily take you over. Presume. They go ahead. They're in front. The pre. Presumptuous sins. Keep me back from those things that I just I fell into sin. Well, because you weren't in the Bible. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Go to Psalm 119. Let me give you another one here. And then we'll end up in Hebrews 5. I'll give you that last verse in Revelation 10. Psalm 119, verse 103. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Isn't that a blessing? You love the Bible? You love the words of God? Are you addicted to them? Do you taste them every day? Do you bring it in every day? When it makes your belly bitter... Do you say, Lord, please bless it because it's working on me and I'm wrong and you're right. That book's right. Cleanse thou me all that stuff. It's down in there and it's bubbling away, but it's working on getting that gut flora rebalanced the way you want it to be. It's your health. It's strength to your bones. All right, go, go to Hebrews chapter 5. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 5. Now you understand why I make such a big deal out of the Bible all the time. I'm always telling you, more important than programs for your kids or camp or nurseries or Sunday schools or additions or playgrounds or whatever else we're wanting to do, you know, youth programs, more important than music and all that is preaching. Why? Because it's giving you the Bible. And yes, sometimes it's bitter in your guts, but that's a good thing. If you'll incline your ear unto it, if you'll accept it, I hope you're addicted to the Bible. And if you're not, I want to get you addicted. I'm the dealer. You understand what I'm saying? I'm here to get you addicted. I want to get you hopelessly hooked. And every time you show up, I want to give you a fix. I'm going to give you a hookup. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, I'm going to give you another hookup. I'm going to make you Jones all week and get you back here and give you another hookup. That's what I want. Why? That Bible will save your soul, man. That's what saved you, right? If you're lost, that Bible will save your life. It'll save your marriage. It'll help you. It'll draw you to God. It'll prepare you for the judgment seat. And it'll reward you beyond anything that could ever be given to you in this world. Hebrews chapter 5. Look at verse 12. For when the time ye ought to be teachers. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them who are, uh, that are of full age, even to them who by reason of use, having their senses exercised to discern both good and evil." Now, here's what I want you to get out of that. He's saying, look, you ought to be a teacher at a certain point. You ought to know enough doctrine at a certain point. But you're so immature that you still need milk. So the Bible is milk to to us as we're young and growing. But the time comes where it ought to be strong meat. That's milk, it's meat, it's honey, it's medicine. 
You see how essential the Bible is? It, your kids need milk. You, you need to get them here, and these Sunday school teachers are taught and instructed to give them Bible on a milk level and keep giving them milk. Why? Because we want them to grow up. And then it comes a certain point where if they've been in church all this time and they're teenagers now, you plop them down in here and let them get preached at with everybody else. Why? Because they can handle it. If they've been given that milk all that time, our teenagers make dinner for us. They can make meat. They can prepare meat. They don't make it, you know, every time. It's not like they're our slaves, but they make dinner. Why? Because they're old enough. They can handle it. Time comes, you ought to be ready to get some meat in your system. I mean, you look around at the guys nowadays, and they all need some meat. You understand what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you need some meat in your system. Well, that's what the Bible is. It gives you meat. But notice how you get there. It belongeth to them, verse 14, who are of full age, who by reason of... Oh, you mean there's no shortcuts? You don't get to listen to somebody on YouTube and get there? You have to use that Bible. You got to open it up. You got to hear the pages turning. You got to cross reference. Like I said this morning, look it up. Run, why won't you run the references? Why would you go to Google and ask some spirit to tell you about the Bible when you could tune it? I, I realize that there's one or two, you know, literally like on the internet, like the guys that are, that are preaching like truth on the internet. That's perfect illustration. It's like that in an ocean of filth. I would love to see the data on how many billions of pictures and, and sites and all the rest of that stuff is out there and how many probably millions and millions and millions if not billions of false doctrines are out there and since some of you know how to tune into a guy or two that gives you that in an ocean doesn't mean the internet's what you should turn to. Thank God if he used it in your life to bring you to the truth. But what is wrong with opening up your Bible and turn it, get a concordance and look up verses and cross-reference them? I do it every week for you, so the time does come where you should say, that ain't rocket science. I see how he did that. There's a word that runs through all these, like he's looking up honey in his concordance and looking at the verses that say honey and learning the Bible. Amen. By reason of use. you got to work at it. You have your senses exercised. And guess what you do? Listen, again, I'm back to where I said before. Don't overdo it. Some of you just, you don't need to overdo it. You just maybe need to do a little more than you're doing. Or maybe you're doing enough. Maybe some of you literally just need to keep doing what you're doing. Because if you keep doing what you're doing, you're growing. And that Bible is what's growing you. Back to Revelation 10. Let's wrap it up. I had some other references to show you about this, but... but we don't need to. We'll probably use those next week. So look at verse 11. He said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So he put the Bible in him and it got bitter in his belly. And he said, What I'm doing is I'm preparing you to prophesy again. 
Now, I'll run the references with you next week because I think it'll tie in nicely with Revelation 11 because we're talking about Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses coming back to prophesy. And, and the references I had will show you so we can stop for tonight. But here's the thing. He's putting the truth in because God had plans for him in the future. But God's timing is everything and the timing wasn't right. Guess who's coming back along with Moses and Elijah? More than likely, John will be here preaching too and I'll show you some of the verses on it next week. But these guys are coming back to preach in the tribulation period. But the application for you and I to take away is the voice of God's powerful, but that same voice wants to speak to you in a still small way. The word of God is how he speaks. And when it gets in you, it does stuff in you. Good and bad. The bad is always good if you respond to it the right way when it's bitter. And what he does when he puts it in you is he prepares you for the future because if you'll put it in, what you put in comes out. It goes right in line with what we were saying this morning. What you hang around with is what you become. Your company, your company determines your future. That's what my old man meant when he said birds of a feather flock together. I can tell what direction you're headed by, what, what flock you're flying with. Why? Your company determines your future. Guess what else determines your future? Whether or not you put this in. That'll be what God can or can't do with you. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father.